Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. Veteran State Capitol reporter Brad Bumstead retired earlier this month after almost five decades as a journalist. Bumstead was one of the most respected reporters covering state government and had a reputation for being fair and thorough. He broke many stories over the years, including Porngate, staffers in the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office sharing sexually explicit emails, and political campaigns that didn't make public where almost $3.5 million in expenses went. He also wrote two books about corruption in Harrisburg. Brad Bumstead is with us on The Spark today. Brad, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. All right. So what does a retired journalist who has covered the seat of power for so long do in retirement? Well, I have a long list of things, including a couple more books I'd like to write, but they're in developmental stages. So, you know, I haven't really worked it out completely yet. I'm I'm experimenting with those and uh, uh, taking more time for, you know, uh, workouts, you know, uh, know, stuff that I just didn't have enough time to do in the five decades of being a reporter running around a lot, but not good exercise, you know, and, and um, uh, uh, I'm a trumpet player. So I'll be doing a lot more of that. So just uh, so our audience knows, how much time did you put in each week as a reporter at the Capitol? It varied completely. I mean, there were weeks where it would be 70, 75 hours, uh, you know, around the June 30th budget deadline, you know, in through July, through the long um, uh, episodes we had then that, that were, you know, some that went, uh, you know, the whole way through December when, when Rendell first took office uh, to in the summer, you know, um, uh, 35, uh, 40 hours a week um, when the legislature wasn't there. So the two books that uh, you, you say right now are kind of on the drawing board. Can you give us any kind of hint of what, what you're looking at? Well, sure. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, one is about dogs, not politicians, not corruption. None of them are about corruption. Okay. Another one is Major League Baseball and, and an angle that I want, I'm pursuing on that, gathering the stats and looking at it. Those are two of the four. So those are things that sounds like a, a couple topics that over the years that you devoted time to, but just didn't have enough time to write about. No, I didn't devote much time to them because All I was right. too busy doing everything else. And the other two books took, it was hard doing, you know, two books while I was continuing to work, you know, 50 hours a week. And, and uh, I could only do that by working on an hour every night after dinner and, uh, uh, five or six hours on Saturday, then take off from it on Sunday. But I had that kind of regimen to be able to get those two books done, Keystone Corruption and Keystone Corruption Continued. So what drove you for all those years? Uh, I, I guess for lack of a better term, Scott, the hunt. 
What, what do you mean the hunt? The hunt, what a hunter does. You, you know there's a story out there, but you have to find it. You have to go get it. You have to be able to prove it. That's all part of the, the, the hunt. And um, it's what I was you know, addicted to in a way is that, that you know, could I get this story? Could I prove this story? Uh, and could I break this story before anyone else? All of that is part of what I think of as the hunt. So when you're talking about the story, do you mean big stories, stories that, okay, as you said, that you could break a story? Are you talking about uh, big stories like that, significant stories that, uh, uh, you know, would really shine a, a spotlight on uh, on state government? Well, yes, I'm talking about those, but also daily stories for the uh, 20-some years that I worked for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. It was competitive with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, still is, I imagine. Well, although there's a strike there now, but basically, um, you know, it could be just a, a beat on the Post Gazette in terms of some new thing that uh, Pittsburgh area legislators were doing, or that that, uh, that one of their legislators did that they shouldn't have done. Um, not all encompassing. So, it, but both. I mean, clearly, you know, Porngate and the the, uh, uh, the other stories that we worked on from uh, Dark Money. Uh, to uh, a first time ever look at legislative spending uh, comprehensively and, and breaking that down. I say we because I didn't just do all of these stories. I did them in cooperation with Angela Columbus at Spotlight, with Mike Warshagen, who used to be with the caucus and now is with the Post-Gazette, and with Paula Knudsen, who's an attorney who now represents newspapers as an attorney, uh, First Amendment attorney, and, and Sam Janish, who's now the uh, uh, Baltimore Suns Annapolis reporter. So just to let everyone know, you retired from the caucus, which, you know, is something that LNP started back in uh, 2017. Uh, and kind of, it was an investigative unit. I, I saw a quote from you where you said it was one of the, the best times you had in journalism. Why? That is absolutely true because, yes, I broke some other stories, big stories before that, but uh, Tom Merce, who was the, the driving force of this with Bob Krasny, the publisher, wanted to create something that people in state government and lobbyists would have and, and be able to see every week in print. That was a printed publication. And you know, it was to hold legislators and state government accountable for lack of transparency, for spending, for you know, things they were doing that way. But what they did with the caucus was create the perfect environment to do investigative stories, i.e. we had, you know, we could take time to do the stories. If we needed more time, we could get it. We had resources to do that. Uh, we had a, this team that, that could do tremendous things, you know, Paul on the law and, and Mike Warshagen doing database work. And it was just a perfect fit, uh, a perfect storm, as they say. And, and that's what enabled us to do some of the award-winning stories we got, including you know, winning a, a national award from the uh, investigative reporters and editors uh, last year. You know, you can't help thinking, though, about the, the state of journalism today. You're talking about all those res resources and, as you said, uh, a perfect situation when there are so many newspapers across this country that are folding every month, every week, and local 
I don't know, cities, boroughs, towns that uh, just don't have that uh, that watchdog any longer. I imagine that's one of the reasons that you would think that it was a perfect situation because it was the opposite of what's happening across the country. Yes, that that was part of it. Uh, Spotlight help fills that gap now too because their stories go out to uh, just about every paper in the state. But I, I feel for them and I, I've been there. So it's not like I've always had this you know, luxurious path to doing investigative stories. You know, I worked for, you know, small dailies. I worked for wire service. I worked for the Pittsburgh Trib when I had to do my regular job. And if I wanted something that was in-depth enterprise reporting, I pretty much had to do it on my own and squeeze it in somehow, you know? So I'm very familiar with that. It's not easy to do, but you can do it, but you have to have really have the desire for it. You have to have the hunger for doing the hunt, as I call it. Those small-town newspapers, uh, you started in Chambersburg, and uh, the story of how you actually got your start as a journalist, you didn't take the traditional path. You didn't uh, major in journalism or communications in in college. Uh, You actually majored in history. How did you become a reporter? Through a lot of hard work. Um, uh, You know, I tried to make up for my lack of a journalism degree once I did get hired at the paper. I mean, there I put in, you know, I would put in 70, 80 hours a week. I would come in Friday nights when I wasn't doing the Friday night shift just to learn about it. But basically, I got a job at the Chambersburg Public Opinion in 1974 as a part-time sports writer. And even that was a hurdle, even though I knew sports pretty well, uh, because they said, well, you don't have any experience. It was one of those things. Well, how do I get the experience unless I can do it? So they finally gave me a chance to do that six months or so. I had the lowliest beat um, in, in, in sports reporting, no offense to the people who were doing it now, but it was wrestling and track primarily. And, um, you know, that, that was, um, I mean, it did give me some discipline. It did teach me at least the basics of how to type. I couldn't type when I got a job as a reporter. Um, and we used, uh, uh, typewriters, actual typewriters, and none of this computer stuff, you know, and you, you know, so I could pound it out. By the time I I got a a full-time job there, you know, I was using two fingers pretty fast, but it only took me a week after I became a full-time reporter to be really able to type pretty well with two or three digits because they started me off doing a bunch of obits and you take these obits and you take them over the phone and you have to be able to type. So within a week or so, I I could type. It was never pretty. And it isn't pretty today. I understand. But, I understand that uh, you had an editor at that time. The way you got hired was that uh, you kind of went over this editor's head uh, about the, looking for a job, and he was not happy with it. I didn't kind of do it. I, I went over <laughs> his head, but I didn't do it on purpose, and I didn't know any better. I was twenty-two years old. I figured, well, the publisher, not the editor, is really in control of things here, so I'll go to him. So I went to the publisher, who was a good guy, and, and said, I'm willing to uh, uh, clean the toilets, wash the floors, you know, do all these kind of jobs to be around all of this so I can learn it. I won't charge you for that. I'll just do the work. Because I had done that kind of work not long before that at the H.J. Hines factory after getting out of college, one of many you know, jobs like that that I had. And, and he said, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk to uh, the, the editor about that. So he goes to the editor. The editor calls me up on a Friday afternoon. He's irate about it. 
you know, why did you go over my head? Why did you do this? And I said, look, I, I'm not some college kid looking for a couple extra bucks. I'm trying to make a career out of this. I want to learn all this. I want to really work hard at it. You hire me, you know, you won't be sorry. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll work my off. And, um, uh, you know, he, he was still mad at me, but finally he heard all of this and he did listen. He said, okay, you're hired. Come in Monday morning. That's how I got it. But I did it. <laughs> I almost got fired probably because I did start talking back to him. And, and yeah, just, that was just the whole tone of it. But he was a, a, a Northern Jersey guy. He was a tough, tough guy. So a few words didn't rattle him that much. Our guest today is Brad Bumstead, who retired earlier this month from the caucus and uh, was writing about, the, well, not state government the entire time, but had a career of almost uh, 50 years uh, working in Chambersburg. I understand you when you went with the uh, Gannett that uh, you worked in Florida, Washington, a lot of different places, Brad. So looking back over those 50 years, what stands out to you? Uh, what stands out to me is the, the way that the business has changed so dramatically. Uh, you, you mentioned the the lack of resources and the closure of um, you know, smaller newspapers, that's a problem. But then how, how we report stories has changed fundamentally. Um, there are, you know, and I see this, you know, because we have, we would have interns come by every year so you get a sense of what uh, people are doing. And we have some very bright young uh, people coming out of journalism school, but, you know, many of them thought that the way you get in touch with somebody is send them an email with a question. Uh, and, and, you know, pose the question by email. Well, that's great resource to have as a secondary thing when you can't get a hold of somebody, but you pick up the phone and call them or you go to their office, number one, because, you know, I've gotten really good stories just from showing up at somebody's office when they'll go, here, you, you can have a copy of this. And, and it, it's just, you have that interpersonal interaction. That's one thing um, that, that bothers me. There's also a, a growing belief, and it's not just among, you know, smaller papers or, or state capital reporters, that a story can be one-sided. There is no other side to this story, because this side is true. It's not the case. I, I don't care what it is, how, how heinous the crime or whatever somebody has done. Uh, it may not be a great defense or reason, but every, there is another side to, to, to what happened. And uh, that, that's, that's something that, uh, it bothers me, but um, most of all, I see that the, the technology as being a huge uh, benefit to the industry. The, the ability to do database reporting, to you know, really you know, have numbers that support amazing you know concepts that you're looking at. Um, the only problem is there are a lot of you know I've seen a lot of younger reporters who think, well, I've got the numbers, so that's the story. When in fact, you get the numbers, and that's just the the hint of the story. It directs you to maybe what the story is. You still have to go around and see people and talk to people, and you know, you use burn a little shoe leather uh, to get that story. What about the state capital, the state government in Harrisburg? What's changed over the years, or what are your what really sticks out to you? Well, I think that that the um, for now, you know, the the corruption has subsided. Uh, that the, the corruption that we saw uh, that came out through Bonus Gate and Computer Gate and you know Vince Fumo's conviction and numerous other uh, 
top legislators who were convicted of crimes, um, you know, waned after that. Now, is that because uh, it's not happening now or is that because nobody is investigating it now? I don't know the answer to that, but I do believe having uh, looked at things historically in my book, Keystone Corruption, the corruption comes in waves and there'll be a wave of corruption where it's really intense. And some of that will be as a result of officials being more corrupt at that time, but also having prosecutors uh, who are aggressive and maybe of the opposing political party of the governor or the legislature, not saying their prosecutions are political, but if you could flip a coin, uh, you know, prosecute yes, prosecute no. If you're a Republican and it's a Democratic official, yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's a go. If, if, if it's a push either way, um, so um, I think it's better in that regard. I think it's more. It certainly is a little more transparent, but not not enough to to write home about. You know the the nation's uh, governments, legislatures, whether it be in Washington or Harrisburg. Not as much in Harrisburg as Washington, but very partisan today. I mean, did you do you did you witness that, or did you observe that in uh, the last decade or so that uh, uh, the legislature in Harrisburg, the governor's office, that uh, it's more political, more divided? Not necessarily more, but just as divided as you, you see Congress, and sometimes in, in gridlock like that. But you'd sometimes see uh, them break through that gridlock to get some bills that help them all get reelected. But yeah, by and large, I mean, when you have a split legislature, it, it does, um, you know, uh, breed bipartisan, you know, friction. But it could make the argument that that's what people want. I mean, they don't specifically go to the polls to say, I want, you know, a Democratic House and a Republican Senate. But I think a lot of people in the end are not dissatisfied with that because it prevents a lot of crazy things from becoming law. The fact that there are there's a break, you know, a, a check and balance on things. And if there's a governor from the opposing party, you know, when you have a Republican legislature, like you had Democratic Governor Tom Wolf, um, a lot of those Republican ideas aren't going to get through. They would say that's terrible and that Wolf you know, shouldn't have vetoed all the bills that he did. He did veto a lot. But yeah, sure, you see the partisanship here. Mm. So I'm going to ask you about... Uh... Individual people. I'm not going to name names. You can name names if you want. But uh, in your years of covering the Capitol, who was the most straightforward, most honest person that you dealt with? And then I'll ask the opposite: someone that uh, was most difficult to deal with. There are two different things: honest and difficult. But um, but I know where you're, where you're headed with that. I think uh, clearly one of the more honest people that I dealt with. Uh, I, I thought. Um, Although he was, you know, criticized by opponents of being a goody two-shoes, was uh, former rep and state senator Alan Kukovich from Westmoreland County, a Democrat. Um, he's a reformer, but he he was uh, somebody that, that uh, I didn't didn't envision ever getting in any kind of uh, trouble trouble with the law or ethics, and he never did. Um, th there were people, uh, um, you know, on the other side of that. Uh, not to in, in, in any way indicate that he was dishonest, but uh, Governor Rendell was difficult to deal with just because of his personality and his ego. Um, you know, he, he was uh, a huge force to deal with. And, you know, he 
got a lot done as governor from what he wanted to get done. But for reporters, you know, he he had no, uh, um, he didn't, he wasn't held back at all by the idea of, of uh, dressing them down at press conferences, uh, you know, uh, yelling at uh, staff and reporters. So he was a really mercurial kind of guy and therefore difficult to deal with. Uh, but, you know, in terms of governors who accomplish things, he would, he certainly would be in, in the upper tier. Hmm. Is there anyone that you think got a bad rap? Yeah, sure. There, there are some people who did get a bad rap. There were, there were, uh, uh, by and large, the people who were prosecuted in, in bonus gate, um, did what they did and, and served time for it. And, and it was appropriate, but there were some, a couple people indicted in that that probably shouldn't have been, uh, indicted in that and computer gate. Um, uh, one guy comes to mind, uh, he, he was a, uh, Republican staffer and uh, the, the Corbett's prosecutors, Tom Corbett's prosecutors were trying to establish that uh, uh, they had some campaign material in former uh, Speaker John Purcell's office and moved that when they knew that investigators were coming. So they accused this guy of moving some, some boxes. I don't think even out of the office, but into a closet or something. And he, he was, um, charged with a crime and had to wear that for two years before prosecutors dropped the charges. Mm. And there were, there were a couple other people like that who uh, were, were, you know, uh, uh, casualties of, of uh, these sweeping prosecutions who probably shouldn't have been there. Well, Brad, uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, I, I want to thank you very much for uh, being with us today and all your work over the years being on this program. Thank you very much for uh, being with us today. Brad Bumstead retired from the caucus and uh, look forward to a book on dogs and uh, baseball. Baseball, one of my favorite topics. So, Brad, thank you very much and congratulations on your retirement. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to The Spark on WITF. I'm Scott Lamar.